I know that some of you were expecting to see a handsome Chinese pastor preach on this stage, but like I always say, you're going to get a regular-looking Filipino loud person here on stage. But at the end of the day, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I'm loved by God just like you, so I'm going to preach my little head off today. Can I get an amen from everybody in the house today? Can I get one more round of praise? All right, fantastic. So we're going to go ahead and start off by just recapping this series titled Beyond. First off, we talked about being beyond fruitful. Everyone say fruitful. Fruitful. And then Pastor Tim alluded to knowing that when a tree bears fruit, it's never meant so the tree can eat its own fruit. It's so that other people can enjoy it. And not going to lie, every, after that message, every time I see a mango tree, I'm like, I feel like I got to jump over the wall because I'm like, that's my mango. That's my fruit. I want to eat that. But the message was about just knowing that when we experience change, the change is for the people around us. Amen? Amen. And then part two was talking about reaching the next generation, knowing that we're meant to go beyond our generation, beyond our own specific people, because we know that the people that we reach will eventually be on this stage, will eventually be in leadership positions later on in the future. So if we want to see a greater society, we got to reach them younger and reach them for Jesus. Amen? All right. Now, part three, we are going to be talking about going beyond our walls. Everyone say walls. And when we talk about walls, first off, we're talking about the four walls here in this building, but we're also talking about the communal walls that we have within our relationships. Because one one crazy thing that I've learned, I'm actually in this uh, applied psychology program at Biola University, and in the class, they talked about this. They said, every human being, psychologically, longs to belong in a community. Am I correct? Whether if it's a basketball team, whether if it's in a friend group, whether if it's the cool people group, whether if it's the drama group, you want to be a part of a specific place. And I mean, for me, I'm Filipino, and my brother always says this, Filipino pride, dude. So if you're Filipino, you have that pride. But what I realize is that when you're in that in-group, the natural temptation and inclination of human beings is to stay in your in-group and then see everybody else outside of that group as inferior as less than, as not as good as you are. And why am I bringing that up today? The reason why is because that can happen in church as well, if we're not careful. Because the biblical, because the psychological study was actually based on church studies. Because they looked at small groups, they looked at churches, and they said what tends to happen is when they stay within their group, and, they, and they're looking at just the people that are around them. They focus on themselves. They say, I just want God to change me, and I want to be around all the Christian people and have a good time. They tend to see everybody else around them as less than. And who is like that? They're called the Pharisees. Who is a Pharisee? They also call them, they're not really fair, you see. And the reason why they say that is because they were lovers of the law. They taught the law. They taught in synagogues. Back in the Old Testament, it's like imagine they're right here on this stage and they're preaching the law to you, the Torah to you. But the crazy thing about it is that on the exterior, they were doing all the right things. But yet Jesus, for some reason, he doesn't go after them because we're going to look in the book of Luke. And before we even pull up our main passage for this morning, I want to give you some three areas of context that we need to understand so that we can see the significance and meaning of the moment that we're going to read about. Amen? So first one, in Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 16, if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. But for time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and just give you a quick summary, maybe some cliff notes for you. And for people who don't love school, I actually don't love school. I'm only in school because I love God. But when Jesus actually came onto the scene and when he began his ministry, one of the first things that he did in the gospel of Luke is he went up to a leper and he healed him. 
Why is that so significant? The reason why is because first question is, what is a leper? Everyone say leper. A leper is someone with this specific infectious skin disease where imagine it's all over my body and it's also highly infectious. And it was pretty much highly incurable. They were like, this: it's only by a miracle that you will be healed of this skin disease. But when they had that skin disease, you know what they did to these lepers? They pushed them out of the general population because they didn't want them to infect the people inside the general population that weren't sick. So they were on the outskirts. They were outsiders. They were outcasts. How many of you guys ever felt like an outcast before? Everybody in here, right? But the thing is that they felt it since the day they got that disease, and they couldn't even be around their friends. They couldn't be around their family. They couldn't be around any of them. But when Jesus came onto the scene, he looked at a leper. And usually, I mean, how many of you know that COVID-19 is real? And when COVID-19, there's, there's a thing called social distancing. It was six feet, right? With the lepers, it was like 600 feet. Like if you see a leper walking towards you, you're running the other way. But instead, Jesus didn't run away. He ran to the leper. And when he ran to the leper, he put his hands on him. First off, you don't even want to breathe the air around him. But he put his hands on him and he said, be healed. Your faith has made you well. And then after that, he said, go to the priest and you're going to be reinstated back into the general population. Now, keep that in your mind right now, and then we're going to go on to the next one. We're going to go to Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. And now, Jesus is walking into town, and he sees this guy named Levi. Everyone say Levi. It's not like the Levi pants that people used to wear back in the day, back when I was in middle school, and put my, sag, put my pants sag down all the way to the bottom. But the, his name was Levi, and he was a tax collector, also known as Matthew. Why are tax collectors so significant? It's because at the time when Jesus' ministry was happening, the Jewish people were under Roman rule and they were treated very harshly. They were extorted, they were taken advantage of, but the tax collectors were connected to Rome because they extorted their own people. So get this, imagine if I'm Chinese, I'm not Chinese, I'm full Filipino, but imagine if I'm Chinese and then I am taking advantage of Pastor Tim and I'm extorting and taking more money than he's actually due to give me, I'm extorting my own people, and I'm building my fortune on my people's misfortune. You see what I'm saying? I am building my fortune on people's misfortune. And because of that, because of his decision to do that, he was disowned. He was disdained by his own family. All the Jewish people hated tax collectors. So you know what happened to them? They became social outcasts. They were put outside of the community, and they were hated. But the crazy thing is that Jesus saw Levi, a tax collector, the worst of the worst, and he said, come and follow me. He said, come and follow me. And then Matthew, or Levi, he ended up dropping everything. He followed him, and the first thing that Jesus said, he said, let's prepare a dinner for other tax collectors, and I want you to, I'm going to go to your house, and we're going to have a great meal. Kind of like how in Thanksgiving, how many of you are preparing for your Thanksgiving meal? In this next week, your honey glazed ham, your turkey, maybe if you're Filipino, your adobo, your chicken, your pancit, whatever you want to add to it. But he said, prepare an amazing banquet for these people. And then as he goes to this place, now we're going to bring back the Pharisees into the mix, the not fair, you see. The Pharisees looked at Jesus and they asked him, how are you going to have dinner with these sinners? I can't believe that. And the reason why they asked, they said, why are you having, with, having dinner with sinners? Is because just like how it's infectious to get leprosy if you're just around them, Pharisees believed 
that if you spent time with sinners for too long and you ate with them, you would be made ceremonially unclean and you would catch their sin like it's an, an infectious disease. But the crazy thing about it is, check this out. I'm going to pull this out and pull out my own Bible here. Usually I don't do this, but I see Pastor Tim pull it out, and I think it makes you more anointed or looks, maybe it looks a little better. But I'm going to pull this out right here. So check this out. Jesus says this. He says, and Jesus answered. Now he's speaking to the Pharisees. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right then and there, what was Jesus doing? He was healing the sick. He said, I'm not coming for the ones that think that they're well and they don't need a healer, but I'm coming to the ones that already know they need to be healed of their own specific sin. So that's the second one. Third one is this. There's a parable of a rich young ruler. Rich young ruler sees Jesus. Long story short, he sees him. He says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And he said, all right, well, you already know. Don't cheat, don't lie, don't murder, just follow the Ten Commandments and all the other rules, and you're good. And then, and then he said, I already do that. And he said, okay, well then now sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And what is a parable? It's just a story. It's like, it's, it's, it's like a movie that he's saying, but at the end of the day, it's because he was pushing the envelope. And he was telling this to Pharisees and tax collectors, both of them. But when he said that, what did the, what did the rich young ruler do? He left away sad. Everyone say sad. Because he couldn't give up his riches. Because he couldn't give up his money. He couldn't give up the thing that he built his life on. But now, now that we know all three of the pieces of context, now we can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. So go ahead and pull out your Bibles. And if you don't have it, it'll be right on screen. And we see that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Everyone say Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He was rich. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, and not going to lie, when I was reading this and I saw short, I kind of had to do some research because I'm like, was he really short? Or was he maybe like 5'8", five, 5'7", five, because that's like the average height of a Filipino. And I'm like, that's actually kind of tall for Filipinos. But at the end of the day, he was actually kind of like 4'11". So he was really short, like Gimli from Lord of the Rings type of short. But... He was short, so he could not see over. Everyone say over. Couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree. And after he climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, we're going to break down this passage real quick, and we're going to kind of look at the significance of it. First off, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Remember Levi, the tax collector that he actually had a banquet at his house? Imagine he's like the bank teller, and then Zacchaeus is like his oversight. He's like the manager. So he's overseeing other tax collectors, 
and he got even richer off of more people's misfortune. So he was even richer than even the, the, than the rich young ruler that Jesus talked about. But the crazy thing about it is that when you see this, he's a chief tax collector, and he saw Jesus on the fig tree. Jesus said, come down because I need to spend a night at your house. First off, having dinner with somebody is already bad enough, but spending a night in their place, oh man, if they got sin, you're definitely going to catch it after sleeping at their house. Like that's the significance of why he was asking him, let me spend the night at your place. And that's why people muttered and grumbled again, saying, you're going to spend the night at this sinner's house who took advantage of so many people. Why are you going to do that? And the crazy thing about it, is that when he came down, he came in gladly. And he said this, he said, I'm going to give back half of my possessions and I'm going, to, I'm going to give it to the poor. The rich young ruler couldn't do that. And then he said, also, everyone that I did wrong, I'm going to give them four times the amount. If you look back at the Levitical law or in, or in the Torah, let's say I owed Pastor Tim five bucks, right? And, and, and I took it from you. I said, I'm going to buy you some Chick-fil-A and I'm going to get you a meal too. And I didn't get it for you. I ate it because I got super hungry. So... I ended up, so I owed him five bucks, right? The law says I would have to give him five plus a fifth of that because it said you give a fifth of what you owe them. So you add it on top, so that's six bucks. So I would give him six bucks according to the law. Zacchaeus gave four times the amount. So instead of six bucks, it's 20 bucks. Instead of, imagine if I owed him 500, you add the same thing. 500, that's 600. But then if you would give four times of $500, that's $2,000. And if he's a chief tax collector, think about how many people he has to give out the money to. That's his whole livelihood that, he's built, that he built his life on. But why is that so significant is because when the rich young ruler couldn't do it, his disciples asked. He said, if it's so hard for a rich person to come to know Jesus, who can actually be, or, or who can come to know faith, who can actually be saved? Jesus' response was, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So right in that moment with Zacchaeus, that was the reality of the promise that Jesus made, where he said, what's going to happen is the impossible. The person that you never thought would ever be saved or give their lives to me is going to do it right now. And that was Zacchaeus. And it's so crazy because this message came super heavy on me when I wanted to preach it. And I think the reason why is because I was like Zacchaeus. And I don't know about you unless all of y'all are saints and absolutely perfect, but I feel like maybe some of you might felt like you were Zacchaeus before. Can I get an amen if you believe that? But the crazy thing about it and the significance is that Jesus came and he said, today salvation has come to this sinner's house. And he's now a descendant of Abraham, not just a physical descendant because he's a Jew, but because he was adopted into the family of God through salvation in Jesus. So as we see right here, point one is this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and people and churches need to do the same. And, and the reason why is because in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, Jesus reveals to us the purpose of his ministry is to seek and save the lost, not to seek and protect those that are found. He came to seek and to save those that were sick, that were sinful, that needed a savior, not for those that were in the temple and praying and saying, I'm doing all the good deeds, so I'm cool by myself. But he said, no, I came to seek and to save the lost. And then now we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. And it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. 
But the Pharisees, everyone say Pharisees. And the teachers of the law muttered. You're going to keep on hearing that over and over again. Mutter and grumble, mutter and grumble. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So right then and there, who was, who was he more joyful over? The one that was staying within the 99 or the one that actually went out and got lost but he was found again? It was the one. And he was more joyful over the one because the mission and the purpose for Jesus' ministry was to continue to seek and save the lost. And I know I'm saying it a lot, but, th but there's an emphasis on the importance of going outwards instead of just staying inwards. Because I actually say this in our discipleship track class where it talks about relational discipleship where it's like a cross. You draw the cross, represents Jesus, right? You're vertical. You're loving God with all your mind, your heart, your will, and everything that you have. And then when it's horizontal, you got relationships with two different groups of people. First one are God's people, church's people. Everyone here sitting next to you. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're God's people. Ah, thanks. Appreciate that. I needed that reminder. But after that, what we also need to do is on the other side, it's the unchurched people, the people who do not know Jesus. And unfortunately, what I've seen today is that most churches and a lot, not most, but a lot of churches and a lot of people tend to forget the left part. The part about reaching those that don't know Jesus, where they're stuck and cool with their community and their clique and their people, that they choose to fail to see that the purpose for church and ministry is not to be a Christian country club, but it's to be a powerful force for the kingdom of God to love and serve those that are around us so that they can go from one side of salvation to the other. Can I get an amen? amen. But now check this out. Now seeking and saving those that are lost and going after our one can be inconvenient. Am I correct? Sometimes it's, not the, sometimes it's one of the most annoying things that you have to do. Sometimes you get a phone call from someone that's struggling or calls you on the phone, and your first inclination is, I don't have time to talk right now. I got stuff to do. I'm too busy. I mean, even just last night, actually, um, I was preparing for this sermon, and I was trying to spend a lot of time on it, and usually I spend like maybe about at least the second half of the day to just rest, getting God's presence, to get ready for this. But then there was this guy named Angelo who's in my rock climbing gym because I rock climb. If any of you rock climb, let me know. I can get you in for free. I got a buddy pass. But anyways, there's this guy named Angelo that I climb with. And, and, and I recently found out that he acts at Chaminade. I mean, he graduated already, but he's in this play. And then everything in me, like my flesh, my selfish, my selfish perspective and my selfish side of me said, I don't have time. I got, I got to prepare for this message. But the Holy Spirit prompted me and said, if you really want this guy to come to know Jesus one day, you got to go where he's at. You, gotta, you, you, don't, you don't just got to wait for him to come and see, but you got to seek and find. I'm going to say it again. We don't got to wait and come, have everybody come and see the amazing spectacle that we call service, but we are meant to go seek and find those that are lost and bring them here. But I felt convicted because I'm like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I need to get me time. How many of you love me time? But sometimes, oh, everybody's like, oh, raise their hand. Some people didn't want to raise their hand. It's okay. God knows. If you feel the conviction, you could repent. It's all good. But 
when we want our me time, God sometimes says, it's not about your time, it's about my time. I gave you this time for a reason. The question is, how are you going to use it? But that's the first one. It's inconvenient. Two, requires a sacrifice of our time, talent, or treasure. And then the third point in seeking and saving the lost is a, we need a willingness to go to those that are lost, just like what happened with Angelo. And now I'm going to go ahead and share a quick story that actually fully encompasses this whole thing. And I'm a hiker too, actually, so if you want to hike, let me know. But either way, I hike. And it was actually in 2018 when I was still serving at Manor Church in Kapolei. And just so you know, it's a Saturday night, just so you have some context. It was Saturday night. It was maybe like at 9 o'clock at night, right? And on Sundays, I would have to wake up at 4.30, or actually 4 in the morning, to get to Olino Theaters at 4.30 in the morning so that I can set up the entire church. So obviously, you know that I would want to get some sleep. So by 9 o'clock, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. I, I, like, I'm, I read my word. I probably drank a good cup of milk. I'm scared I don't really drink a cup of milk. But <laughs> at that time, I was getting ready for bed, and then I, and then I get a phone call. And it's this guy that's in, that, that was in one of my small groups. His name's Micah. I'm not going to say his last name. But he calls me, and he's like, hey, bro, I'm on this hike. And, man, it was, and I, like, I'm, I think I'm going to get lost. And I'm like, bro, well, where are you? It's 9 o'clock at night. And he's like, I'm still on the ridge I am still on the ridge by myself, and I have 15% left in my phone battery. I, I literally don't have any water, and, my, and I literally called the Coast Guard because he was in the Coast Guard. He called the fire department, and they all said, just wait up there, and we'll come and get you tomorrow because it's just too dangerous. And then, but he asked me. He's, he has all this anxiety. He's all scared, and, and he's like, what do I do, Lexi? What do I do? And I, I'm like, you know what? Let me call you back. Hang up the phone. I literally look up at my ceiling, and I'm like, God, please don't tell me to get this fool. <laughs> you know what God tells me? Go get this fool. <laughs> so I'm like, dang it. So I call him. I say, all right, Micah, you got to do this. What exact trail are you on? Okay, you're on the Y Mono Ridge Trail. Awesome. I could pull that up. Are you on the trail? Because I need to know that. He said, yeah, I'm on there. Send me your pinpoint. I got that. So I got my hiking shoes. I got my headlamp. I got my charger. And I, call, and I also texted my best friend, Jermaine. And I was like, hey, yo, Jermaine, I'm going to go get Micah. He got lost on the ridge. And I thought he was going to say, all right, cool. I'll see you at the entrance. Like, I'll see you soon. You know what he said? All right, I'll be praying for you. Let me know when you come back. And I'm like, dang it, all right. So I show up, and this is what happens. Like, you can actually turn down the lights so we can actually see the image. Um, so if you see right here, this is how it looked like. This is the exact entrance of the trail. You go to the left side, and I was there by myself. And then as I started walking through, this is some other stuff that I saw, just so you can understand the fear and the anxiety and, the maybe, and even the frustration that I had. You could turn to the next picture or next image. This is stuff that I saw. Like, I'm literally going through the trees, and I'm walking around, and then I see holes like this in the cave, and I thought that a grudge girl or some demonic thing was going to come and get me. And I was like, and my, my humanity came out, where I was walking, and I'm like, God, why is this happening? Why is he so dumb? Why, why did he get lost? Like, how could you not make the righteous decision of when you see the sun coming down, you go down the hill? Like, I did it. Like, I didn't get it. I was, I was literally having that conversation in my head. And then you can even go to the next one. There, there, there's one last image. So this is how it looked like. This is on the trail. You have to hold on to the rope, and there's waterfalls on the other side. So, but it was scary. And I remember at that time when I was asking God, God, this is, it's been two hours into this hike now. Why am I even here? 
And he said, the reason why is because I called you to seek and save someone off this mountain because he's lost. Because I did the same thing for you when you didn't know me. And the Uber driver came into your life and he pursued you and called you every single day until you finally said yes to receive Jesus into your life. And in that moment, I realized that seeking and saving the lost is inconvenient. It sucks. It takes sacrifice. And sometimes it puts you in crazy situations like this. But the crazy thing is when I finally saw him on the ridge, he literally had his Spider-Man t-shirt on and kind of put it over his knees. And he was a, he was a character. He was, a, he, was like, he was definitely that one, you know. I know all of you have that type of one person in your life where you're like, ah, oh, do I... Jesus going to come into his life? Yes, he will. I say that in Jesus' name. But when I saw him on the ridge, he saw me, and I saw his body position before he even saw me, and he was scared. He was afraid. He felt alone. But right when he saw that somebody else was there to save him that knew what he was doing, he jumped right up, and he gave me a hug with a warm embrace. And instead of me giving him a piece of my mind, I'm like, bro, I got to get to church by 430. What are you doing? God told me, he said, he already knows that he messed up and he repented. Just get him back down so you can minister to him. And the reason why I say that is because my second point is this, is that when we want to reach our one or even reach our communities, it takes loving and serving them. When we love and serve them, when I love and serve Micah, what that built was a relational bridge of trust where I was able to actually bring the gospel into his life where he fully received it and he fully committed his life to Jesus at the bottom of that trail. But the crazy thing about it is that a lot of the times we're not willing to build that bridge. We are not willing to build that bridge with those people that are around us. But the question is, how do we build it again? You love and you serve them consistently. I know that right now we are in the season of Thanksgiving and the holidays, and I know that it's usually one of the most joyful seasons that we have. But statistically, what I found out is that it actually, a statistic was done in 2022, and it was based off of 2,000 Americans. And out of those 2,000, 55% of them said that they felt an additional increased amount of loneliness in the holiday season. And the 44% of the reason why those 55% of people felt that is because they didn't have family to spend with on the holiday season. So why am I sharing this with you today is I want to make it practical as we go into Thanksgiving is that if you're preparing your honey glazed ham, if you're preparing your fill, your stuffed turkey, if you're preparing all these amazing things for Thanksgiving, I want to lovingly encourage you to bring one person to your house so that they can experience the love and the presence of God within your own home. Because the reason why is Jesus had dinner with tax collectors. Maybe God is calling us to have dinners dinners with these sinners that we want to reach. And I don't even want to call them sinners. They're just lost people so that they can be found. So again, like I said before, the church always thinks, ah, well, let's just bring them here to church and then they will receive salvation. Yes, they might, but we also got to switch it around and say, instead of say, come and see, we got to seek and find them. And if they won't go into this house just yet, then let's bring them to our house so that we could bring them to this house. Amen? So now, we can go ahead and go to the last point, which is we plant churches and sites to reach communities and make disciples. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Everyone say go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
So I know that you hear this all the time. I mean, if, if you've been with us for at least a few weeks, you would hear church planting come out. Can I get an amen from everybody that heard that before? But now I want to talk about the reason why. And the reason why is because when I first got saved, I got saved by an Uber driver. Yes, he led me to Jesus. We went through Bible studies. But as I was reflecting on this sermon, my discipleship journey didn't really begin until I joined a church. Until I came into a fellowship because he had this thing called living room ministry. It was in his home. He had maybe about 20 to 25 people together where they would preach the word. We would worship. We would pray together. And he even baptized me in his bathtub through that ministry. Like, it, like it's, I know, I said, oh, that's so crazy, right, Donna? Like, oh, my gosh, I got clean physically and also spiritually, you know? But in that moment, it happened in church. It happened in those sites. And that's why when we talk about churches and sites, yes, we do believe in reaching the masses. We do believe in reaching as many people as we can. But when we talk about sites, sometimes it's just about starting small groups and then you bring them together, whether if it starts with 20 to 25 to 50, because I got really discipled in a site and a church of 25 people. But as a church, as an apostolic training center, I want to I tell you this right now, is that God doesn't, you don't choose your church. God joins you to a church. You don't choose a church. God draws you to a church for a very specific reason and calling. And I remember Pastor Jim LaFoon prophesied this. He said, we're going to be a center to the world. Not because we're ambitious, but because it's our God-given assignment. It was given to Pastor Norman when he started this church, and we're going to continue to develop that and follow through that for the next 28 years and beyond, but it starts off with us. The heart of it is reaching and saving those that are lost. The heart of it is going out and letting someone know that they are still loved, they're still valued, no matter how many mistakes they made or how they were led astray, God still has a plan and purpose for their life. But practically, we do it by planting churches and sites, and we reach communities by doing that. So that's why we're doing it now. We have, obviously, we have our congregation in Kapolei. We got our, we're our congregation in Pearl Highlands. And then, obviously, we have the best congregation here in downtown. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. Can I get a stronger amen? And then, obviously, we got Nana Cooley with the west side, and they got their big gold chains. Mine's kind of small still, but it's cool. And then we got Tacoma, Washington over with Mark Young. And then we also have our newest microsite that's actually going to come out. Or it's already, it's already starting to build right now. And we're going to show you a quick video. And, we're, and I'm going to pray that this inspires you to believe to go even beyond your walls to reach your community. So this is Nikki and Liko Cruzy. So go ahead, turn your eyes to the screen. How's that? My name is Liko Cruzy, and this is my wife, Nikki Cruzy. And we are called to plant Proside Church Mililani site. Six or seven years ago, um, I thought that I was always going to be a worship leader. And um, at that time, my brother-in-law, who is Pastor Chad Udani, I would egg him on and like, Hey bro, start a church in Mililani and I'll be your worship director, dude. God had, had placed something in my heart uh, for the community of Mililani because like, there's just a huge community of people to reach out there. It's the gateway towards the North Shore because we don't have a church with our personality from Pearl City all the way around the North Shore all the way to Ko'olau. And uh, two years ago now, Pastor Coach asked me if I wanted to step into ministry. Two months later, 
Pastor Norman said he wants to start something in Mililani. And that's when I opened up and, and said, I'm your guy. You know, it's been on my heart. Since then, uh, you know, God has been molding and shaping us, not only me stepping into ministry as a leader, um, but also growing and strengthening our marriage as husband and wife and as parents of four. And so far, it's been great. So just this past April is when we kind of launched small groups. And the next big one was we were looking for a site. Then God reminded me that I spoke at my first celebration of life in July. And just so happened, the MC was Mrs. Yogi, the principal of Kipapa Elementary School. She is actually a part of a prayer intercessory team for the church up the road from Kipapa Elementary School, and they've been praying for something like this to happen. So Mililani actually means a touch from heaven. It's the city that sits the highest on the island, that when the clouds fall down, they fall down and touch the mountains of Mililani. And then Mrs. Yogi said that Mililani is the pico of the island. So I believe that what happens in Mililani will have a ripple effect to the rest of the cities surrounding it. So our plan now is to continue our once a week small groups at our house on Friday evenings. And uh, we want to eventually expand into the community, meet at Mililani Town Center, branch our groups and just continue to reach the community and uh, we're gonna continue with our once a month gatherings as well as a ProSide Mililani site. Woo! All right, woo! Can we give some God some praise for that? So as you can see, it's already happening. And the thing that I loved about what even Liko shared is that he was looking at Pastor Chad Udani to plant that site. And he's like, oh, bro, I'll be your worship director, yeah? I'll be your worship director, bro. But God was actually calling him. And I just want to say, like, there might be some people in here today where you might even be thinking, like, oh, maybe, maybe it could be somebody else I could plant those sites. That sounds cool. But maybe the one person that's within this crowd, or two, or three, or four, or five, if God is tugging on your heart to reach your community, your place, or if God puts a place on your heart, my encouragement is to what? Go. The word is go. But now I also even want to take this time to even spend this time in response and worship. And we can go ahead and stand up as we get ready to worship.